If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is an eventing specialist. He's one at four-star level, so he's quite an eventing specialist. He's a rider, competitor, trainer and coach. And I'd like to introduce you to Craig Barrett. How are you today, Craig? Uh, very well, thank you, Glenis. Great, great. Craig, we're going to start you off with a favourite quote. I'm sure you've got one for us today. Yeah, that's a tough one. I sort of tend to keep it pretty simple, and I think the, it's a bit of a cliched one, but it's, it's just never give up. You know, that's yep. probably the, the one that rings true to me. You know, and it's, it's a very difficult one to sort of stick to, but I think it is the bottom line of, you know, in the horse game, things get really difficult, you know, and that's just part of the course. Mm-hmm. And when the going gets tough, you just got to keep your head above water and, yeah, basically just never give up when the going gets really tough and think you probably should be giving up. So, yeah, that's probably my sort of most used, you know, yeah. when people go badly at an event, you know, the, the hardest part is to pick up and go again. You know, yes. that's what actually makes you better. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you go bad and then go well, to doing good is almost that much, um, you know, you've come from such a long way down. It's it's almost better than being good, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Mm. in the horse game, horses are such a leveller that there wouldn't be anybody at the top level who hasn't come from a very sort of scary place where they thought it was, you know, never going to happen. And yes. so, you know, anyone that's operating at the very highest level, I don't care whether you're talking Australia or worldwide, everyone at the top level will have come from that dark place where it's just you're not supposed to go on, you know, mm, and, mm. and that's just one of the first rules that you've got to learn to stick by. Okay. Now, before I talk about that, which might have been your biggest challenge, I want to know about your start with horses because – We have quite a lot of people starting with horses that have come from horse families, but then others who just say, no, my parents weren't horsey at all. And I think you were coming from a background where you didn't have horsey parents, did you? No, that's right. I Mm. didn't have horsey parents. I came from Sydney. We moved from Sydney when I was probably about 10 years old. We moved to Coffs Harbour and my parents bought five acres might have been 10, I can't remember. And, you know, they thought it would be a good idea if we got a pony. Never had anything to do with ponies. And we were quite lucky in that the pony that we bought belonged to a, a racehorse trainer, Ken Campbell. And he was a very good horseman. And he sold us a pony that was very quiet and suitable for the job. And his daughter actually sort of gave us our first riding lesson. And, you know, my first riding lesson was probably getting on it and getting it out of a yard and then promptly getting carted back to the feed shed on it. So we certainly didn't have a clue what we were doing, but for some reason we just kept on keeping on. You know, my mum used to take the picnic to the pony. My dad managed to get the horse on the float and um, that's what we did. Okay, okay. And 
you had a float, any trouble with loading, any stories there? Because, you know, I mean, uh, I've been I, to... Not I'll, that I remember. Yeah, yeah. Not that I remember. But I think, we, were, as I said, we were very well looked after by Ken. Mm. If there was any sort of sniff of trouble, I think my dad was smart enough to know that he wouldn't try and do it himself because he had no idea what he was doing. And he'd either ring Ken or, or, or Ken had come and, you know, fix it for us, you know. So I think we were... Quite lucky. Our pony club was quite a quite a good pony club in that they, were, you know, it was a friendly mob and they were into eventing, mm-hmm. and so they sort of did take us under their wing a bit. And when we were quite well looked after, so I don't really have any sort of floating stories. I remember when I first started eventing, my first event was on this pony called Silverbell, and I left the start box, and as she used to do repeatedly, I just went from the start box to the float. And that's where we stopped for a while until I could manage to coax her back past the start box to the first fence. And that's about usually where I finish my day. So that was the start to my eventing career. It wasn't a great one. But, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, there, there was certainly some fun days. Okay. And then you went on. Now, from school, did you go straight to Ryan's from school or did you do something else before you started to do anything with horses? What happened there? I first went to Heath and Rosie's when I was about 16. What happened was we were looking for another horse when I was about 15. I'd sort of outgrown the one I had. Mm-hmm. And I'd sort of seen in a, in the horse magazine there was this auction on and we went down and we had a look. And we had friends who lived at Nolkabar just near Cessnock and, and we stayed with them and I didn't really like any of the horses. None of them really went that well for me. There was probably nothing to do with how good the horses were, but... I didn't think we were end up ending up going to buy anything. Anyway, so this horse came in and Matt Ryan was riding it and it was probably a six-week gold, uh, six weeks old, six weeks broken in mm-hmm. and it was jumping this grid and it was jumping amazing and for some reason my dad started to put his finger up and um, he started bidding on this horse. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh, we, we hadn't ridden it. We hadn't really found anything about it. You know, it was just mad. Anyway, of course, the hammer falls and, and, and Dad's bought this horse for $1,750 and it was Matt Ryan riding it and it was owned by Mr. and Mrs. Ryan and Heath was obviously doing the auctioneering or he was, it was his auction. Yep. Anyway, so we got the horse carted home and, of course, it was six weeks broken in and, you know, it obviously wasn't probably going as well as, well <laughs> as we would hoped and, Anyway, Dad got on to Matt, and I was supposed to go to Matt for work experience, and he was on his parents' sheep property at Coonabarabran. Anyway, it ended up that I couldn't go, and he said, here, look, bring my brother at Lock and Bar. You might be able to go there. And so Dad did that, and sure enough, I was able to go for two weeks' work experience there, and uh, that was probably when I was in year 10, I think. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. I was hooked, and then as soon as I'd finished, I kept going back there in school holidays, and I ended up pretty much twisting Heath's arm and, and making him give me a job when I finished school. So, uh, yeah, no, pretty much as soon as I finished school, I packed up and went straight down to the equestrian centre mm-hmm. at Lockenvar. Oh, well, that was a good uh, yeah. good start, as, you know. I mean, some people go to school, have got a lot to do with horses and then leave horses, do something else, still have horses on the side, but it sounds like you just went straight into horses. Was there ever any time you had any other work or any other job or you've just always done horses? Well, look, no, I've always just done horses, but, of mm. course, there's obviously times when, it's, you know, it's really difficult to make a living. And when I left the equestrian centre, I went to the UK for about three months and I really didn't like that. It was too cold for me and I just... <laughs> when I'm just staying here and I'd sort of ridden advanced when I'd left Australia and all I could see was another three years of hard slog 
you know, in the English sort of weather and before I'd actually get anywhere. So I went, oh, I'm not doing this. So I came home and then I worked for a year at a horse place just near Cessnock and then that sort of finished. And then uh, look, Prue and I obviously met at the equestrian centre and we sort of ended up deciding we'd go out in business on our own. And when we went out in business on our own, obviously it was fairly tough existence to start with. We used to sort of teach a couple of kids in Singleton in return for a rent of a shed. And, you know, it was sort of tough. And I ended up, uh, it was Mark Fennell and Joel Fennell was actually still riding two-star at the moment. And so when they were kids, he and his sister, we used to teach them in return for this shed that his parents owned and um, had sort of, I think it had 10 or 15 acres and a couple of stables and they were really good to us. And But I actually was a stop-go man for a few times, you know, with Mark Fennell and, you know, that sort of stuff. So... You know, but basically, no. Look, I've pretty much done horses and mm. done whatever it takes to get the horses to cover the basis of our living. So, yeah. I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking, you know, about your favourite quote, the never give up. But what sort of character traits or core skills do you think that people need to be in the horse industry? I mean, you've obviously got them, but you tell me if well, you're choosing look, I, someone. I'm, mm. I was lucky enough that when we are at Heath, we got a very good grounding in the classical art of horsemanship I guess and I think that sort of gets a little bit underestimated I think I was able to understand the horse I really enjoyed the horse and it wasn't just necessarily a competition tool for me and I think that's a lot of the problem that people have a bit these days I think it's just a competition and so I actually really enjoyed the training of the horse right from you know breaking in right through the Grand Prix level in the dressage and I think that's sort of what allowed me to exist when you've got a problem horse you know so if there was a problem horse it wasn't just about knocking it in the line or anything like that you know we would always try and understand why the horse was doing a particular thing whether it was bucking or rearing or not going in the right direction or not jumping or whatever so from a classical understanding of the horse you can usually peel back the layers and work out why the horse actually doesn't want to do something and I guess that's what allowed me to sort of ride horses that many others wouldn't even contemplate looking at. And that's probably what held me in good stead in those days of sort of riding everything and anything, you know. Mm -hmm. I remember we'd have horses come in on trucks that, you know, five years old and they'd never had a halter on. They'd just been run up into trucks with races and, you know, we had to try and get them off in the yards and catch them. And I had one horse that we got from one property. We called it Monty because I couldn't catch this thing and it was in a race, you know, and it was trying to jump out and kill us and all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And the stock guys there go, look, we're going to lunch and we've got a book called Monty, that Monty Roberts wrote. We might bring that back. You know, they were giving me grief. And I had to get this horse out of the race and onto a truck with just a ramp and, you know, it would never been, you know, white man hadn't seen it basically. Anyway, so... You know, an hour and a half later, they couldn't believe it. I had this horse caught on the truck and I'd gone, you know. They just couldn't believe their eyes. But, um, you know, those are the sort of things that we used to do. I, we, I don't do that anymore. It's just way too dangerous. Mm, mm, mm. But that's what allowed me to survive. I was probably just good with the horses. These days, it's all about, you know, you've got to be a really good people person. Uh-huh. There's a lot, a lot of coaches out there now and you've got to be able to sort of talk the talk. And I think that's a shame, but that's just the way it is. You've got to be able to network with a lot of people and stay in touch. You know, I think it's a little little different than it used to be. And that's mm-hmm. probably what I'm not very good at. I'm better at dealing with the horses. Um, but there, these days you do tend to have to be able to do both. You've got mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, keep a lot of people happy with owners and lessons and that sort of thing. 
Yep. And that's yep. a very important part of being able to do it. You know, I think if you live in Sydney these days and run a decent riding school, you'll make a good living. But you do need to be able to be a very good people person. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, you've talked about Heath and Rosie Ryan and the influence that they've had. Anyone else that you think has really influenced you and made you into the rider that you are today? Yeah, look, I think just having the influence through Heath, you know, we had access to a lot of the top riders in the country and the mm-hmm. trainers in the country. So, and like I'm talking about Wayne and Vicky Roycroft, yep. we had contacts with George Santa, Chris Chug, Rod Brown, Clemens Dirks used to come and do uh, Learn to Teach Days, you know, and I remember we used to get taught by Anne Honor. Uh, we had a lot of access to the very, very top level of the sport. So I think not just probably singling out one, it would be Wayne and Vicky Roycroft, particularly Wayne. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like even Vicky, she, you know, I remember I had trouble with a horse bidding it for the cross country. And she said, look, I'll come down on your day off and we'll find you a bit, you know. And so I did that. I was probably an 18 or a 19-year-old kid and, and Vicky Roycroft was offering me, you know, assistance in yeah. how to make your horse go better. You know, and, and so we try to do that the same these days, but it's all mm. having access to that top level of the sport, which we were very lucky to have. Mm, mm, mm. That's good. And what about horses have influenced you? Yeah. I mean, there's been uh, yeah. quite a few, I'm sure. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess my very first advanced horse that I didn't really have a lot of time with, I got uh, lucky. He had three horses that he was supposed to to ride at Melbourne three-day event in 89, Mm. and he couldn't. He wasn't allowed to ride three. Mm -hmm. And so somehow he talked the owners, a lovely couple from Kempsey, and I was from Coffs Harbour, and and he talked them into letting me ride this horse, and it was Abdul. It was a black stallion, and I rode it at, I think it was Warren, advanced one-day event. Then I took it to Hawkesbury. I had two one-day events on him, and then I went around the three-day event at, at Melbourne, and it was one of the hardest tracks that, you know, Australia had ever mm, seen, mm. and it was carnage, and this horse car to be round, and it was the horse that gave me confidence to be able to do that level. You know, I thought I was just, you know, a superstar sort of thing, but it was, when you look back at it and you have a bit more sort of knowledge and know what's going on, the horse was a saint, you know. Mm-hmm. The horse was brilliant. He car to be round there with me flapping at him and kicking <laughs> at him and probably riding him too fast, but that's the horse that made me was Abdul, and they were the only the three stars. I only rode him three times. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. But that's the horse that made me. And then, you know, I, I just I thought I could do it after that, you know. That horse made me think it wasn't that hard. Yep. Um, and if I hadn't have had that horse, I may not have ever made it, you mm-hmm. know. But that was the horse that, that made me. Apart from that, you know, I've had a lot of advanced horses, but probably right up to recently when I won the four-star in Adelaide, it's five years ago now, but that horse... Uh, Sandhills Brelaire, she was probably, she wouldn't have been my most talented horse, but she was the hardest trier. She just tried every, in every phase, she tried her hardest. And that's probably my best win. At the same time, I had a horse called Wendell Jamie, and he was sort of more, probably more athletic, but just slightly a bit more difficult. And I did very well on him as well. And probably the other horse that I've still got at home, he's 25 now, he's the Stallion Staccato. So when I was at the centre, I realised pretty quickly we weren't going to be able to afford to buy these horses if they were any good. You know, once they got to four years old or five years old and they'd start to show a bit of promise, they were worth a fair bit of money. And I was Mm. like, there's no way I'm going to be able to afford to buy these. I'm going to have to breed them. Mm -hmm. And so when I was at the centre, my first two broodmares, I had two mares. One I got off Ken Campbell, who sold us the first pony. And that broodmare actually was a horse called Tuesday, and she's the mother of Panamera, who won Adelaide with Stuart. 
Mm-hmm. So that was the first brood mare I ever had. And then the other mare I had was a horse called Smiler, and she's the mother of Staccato, and he was the second foal that I ever bred. He's probably the most influential horse in my life because there's not a horse that I don't have at home at the moment that I ride that won't have his blood in it somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so all my horses have got his blood in them. And, like, he's produced two four-star winners. He just produced the winner of Wallaby Hill, three-star. He's probably gone a little bit of an unsung hero. And he was a lovely horse to ride, but I was only young when I was training him, and he was pretty much the first warm blood that I'd got. Well, he was a half warm blood, half thoroughbred, but he was very much thrown to the warm blood. He's a bit slower. He was very careful. Uh, he didn't have a sort of a thoroughbred go button, and we had to sort of readdress our, our training methods just to keep, you know, keep him confident, keep him happy. And I probably didn't do as good and as good a job as I would now. Mm-hmm. So he probably like he still won Goulburn CIC, won Sydney CIC. And he went round Adelaide when it was a three-star, but he, was, he wasn't he was fast enough on the steeplechase mm-hmm. and had some time penalties. But, you know, he did. It was a good competition, but I reckon he could have been better if I hadn't had him now. Okay, okay. But, um, yeah, those uh, um, are the, probably the horses. Yeah, well, I'm thinking about the horses that you've had. What you, have, have you got one moment that you'd say, this is my proudest moment, or there's been a few or it's ongoing? Oh, look, winning the four-star at Adelaide would be my yep. probably the, my proudest moment. I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest win that I've ever had and probably ever will have. So that would be the one moment if I was to choose one. Yep, yep. Yeah, because we bred the horse, we bred that mare, and we sold it to probably my, my longest-serving owners who have been absolutely brilliant. So it was a really good experience, you know, to breed the horse, to train the horse, to have the horse owned by some really nice people, and, you know, it was, it was just a great mm-hmm. partnership. Mm-hmm. What about your biggest challenge? Well, look, I think the biggest challenge is always to get better. It's all very good to say it's all hard to stay in it, but the biggest challenge is always to get better. You can't sit still. You've got to always challenge yourself to keep getting better. How do I get better? What am I going to do today that makes me better at my next competition? You know, you just, if you think you're finished, if you think you're good enough, you might as well hang up your boots because all the the young guys are going to go around you, you know. There's always things to learn with horses, always things to do better. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the biggest challenge is, is how do you keep getting better? You know, I think we do have to keep challenging ourselves to get better and keep getting better at coaching the next generation. That's one of the big jobs that I sort of have at the moment is just how do we make the next generation better than us? Because they can't just be as good as us. If they're only as good as us, they won't be any good. You know, they're yeah. going to have to be better. Yep. They're going to have to yep. be better. They're going to be on better horses. We're going to have to have better competitions. You know, that's the goal, uh, you know, that, that I see in our sport at the mm-hmm. moment is one of our biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, thinking about the young people coming on, what's a common problem, common challenge that they've got when they're riding cross-country? And um, what would you say to them about fixing it? I think for riding cross-country... Look, it's a hard one. I think our sport has become city-centric, you know, and I, I think kids don't get out in the bush enough these days. They don't, they don't go up and down big slides and down narrow tracks and, you know, they don't learn just to naturally, instinctively balance a horse. They're just there to do a competition and, you know, you've got to make the time of that cross-country whether you know that, you know, you're ready to do it or not. So I think the biggest challenges for the young people is to be classically trained and understand how you make the job for your horse as easy as you possibly can. Okay. That's the job for young riders is, is they've got to be well trained. They mm-hmm. can't just think they're going to have a good horse and, 
go to the competition. And, and I'm not sure they do that, but all I'm saying is if a cross-country riding, you have to be able to balance your horse and understand the intricacies of cross-country riding. And it's not easy out there these days. Like when I started, we didn't have arrowheads. We didn't, we, you know, we had apexes, yep. I suppose, yep. but we didn't have all these narrow combinations where you'd had a lot of turning. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have any brush, not a lot of brush that I remember. Everything was big, bold, and straightforward. So as long as you're brave, on a brave horse, you're okay. Mm, yeah. You know, and I remember going to the World Championships in 1990, I think it was. I was we were there, Prue sort of hadn't quite made the team, but I went over anyway. The show jumping, I consisted of one one-stride double and one line of five strides. Mm. You know, that's where we've come from. And, like, you know, even in the – there was basically three fences, I reckon, in the Wallaby Hill show jumping track that weren't related. So yep. – It's actually a much more difficult sport to get your head around as a young rider these days. Like, we used to hate having a stop or run out in the old days. Well, now it's just part of the course, you know. Mm. You've almost got to go, well, it's not quite as bad, but, you know, like a run out for a young horse eventing is almost like having a rail show jumping. You know, it's going to happen at some point, Mm -hmm. and we've got to get used to that. All the the jumps on the cross country now, the difficult ones, are designed to push you off them. And it's very difficult for a young rider to teach a horse to be honest on those accurate fences. So that's the challenge for the young riders. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is online horsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Okay. So if you're training young riders and they're coming into challenging fences, what sort of tips are you going to give them? What are you going to work on? Depends. Well, it depends on the the horse, the rider, and the the particular fence. But, you know, cross-country these days, I tend to rely on line, pace. So they've got to get the right line to the jump. Then they've got to have the right pace that is suitable for that type of jump, mm-hmm. and then they have to find the correct takeoff distance for that type of jump. They're the most important things these days, assuming that they have good position and they don't have to worry too much about their position. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to teach a lot about rhythm and all that sort of thing. Well, I tend to go away from that a little bit these days. It's much more about you've got to have the correct line, you've got to have the correct pace, and then we're looking for the correct takeoff distance for that type of fence. Whether it's a, a fence into water, you're going to have to have your horse a little deeper because, you know, there might be a drop involved. Um, if it's a ditch and brush, it's got to be forward with pace and to the, the base of the jump, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so you've, they've got to be able to understand those three things and how they interact with each other. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, good. Now, in all your riding, have you had time to do any reading? Is there a book there that's influenced you that you could recommend? Look, I don't read a lot these days. I probably should read more. But I think for me, one of the biggest books that I read was George Morris's Hunter Seat Equitation. Mm-hmm. I think that gave yep. me a real insight into the jumping, the horses, the, the exercises, the position of the riders, the philosophy behind that type of jumping. Previous to that, we were tending to be a bit more english sort of orientated in the jump training. I think we were influenced a bit more by Lucinda Green. And she thought that she had a dissimilar way of riding. She just used to gallop and let the horse back up and jump. But I think the Hunter Seat Equitation and George Morris's system is a really good way of a complete 
package for eventing riders to understand the jumping side of horses, whether it's cross country or show jumping. It's not it's not particularly different. Okay. Okay. All right. Craig, what are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold? Oh, look, I think at the moment I'm training horses, I'm training riders, and we're just looking to continually improve the top level of our game. I think we have a little bit of a gap at the top level at the moment. Our top riders are very good, and I think they're very capable of cutting it at the international level, but there is a little bit of a gap then to, to the next uh, generation, if you like. So I'm talking, you know, Stuart, Megan, uh, Shane, Sonia, that level of rider, like they're fine, but then mm. we come down underneath those, and I think the next generation, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm, look, that's where we're trying to, you know, and I'm not coaching them all, obviously, but mm-hmm. I have a few riders that are at that level yep. that we keep looking to improve in small amounts, you know, over a period of time that slowly gets us up to be competitive mm-hmm. with those guys. So, and I love the breeding, you know, I'm, I'm right into our breeding program. Yep. Yep. I think all our mares, you know, like I've, we've basically got mares now that I could just about guarantee you're going to spit out three-star horses if they find the right rider. That's good. So that's something that I like and I'm really focused up on being able to sort of, yeah, just keep breeding the horses that we need to sort of get to that international level. Yep, yep. Sounds like you got it all worked out. <laughs> okay. Well, well, I'm not sure <laughs> if we can do that, but, you know. Well, it's good. I, go. I like talking to people who just say, well, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, keep improving, yeah. but but much the same, yeah. Now, if you can sum up your philosophy into a lesson today, that would be great. Look, I'm really interested in the riders. Uh, when I ride, I'm trying to – help the horse do what I want it to do. And I think that's a big part of, you know, it's just being able to understand and have a classical approach to the horses. I think it's got to be a one that, yeah, yeah. When we're riding, we're trying to do things that allow the horse, understand why the horse does what it does, you know, whether it be, you know, is it balanced well enough? Does it move off my leg? Is that going to help me do what I want to do? I'm not really explaining myself very well. But in the horse game, we've still got to remember that it's all about the horse. And we do it because we love the horse. The horse is a very generous creature, and we have to sort of be able to look after it in a way that then produces a performance. And that's what happens when you get a brilliant performance. You have something that becomes or or, or is greater than just the horse, the the rider making a horse do it. The horse starts to want to do it on its own because you've taught it to do something. And that's when you get expression. So Mm -hmm. you want your horse to express itself in the way that you've trained it. You know, and I think another George Morris quote says, you know, good riders can make a horse do something. The great riders can make the horse want to do it itself. And, okay. and that's when you get that's when you get expression in your dressage test. You get ease in the jumping. It makes it look easy to gallop cross country because the horse starts to understand this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll do this because I want to do it myself. And the rider almost becomes you know, a second part of the horse doing. Yes, we still guide the horse and ride the horse and all that sort of thing. But the horse that does anything easily is showing expression. It's showing that it's been well-trained. And that's the goal of the rider or the trainer. It's not just to make the horse do it. Mm -hmm. It's to be able to do it in a way that the horse starts to express itself. And that's when people start to go, oh, 
you see that? Mm. You know, mm. so it's a quite an amazing, you know, uh, and that's where the horse starts to get people suck it in because that's what they're able to do. <laughs> yes, yes, a whole population of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Craig, um, how can people contact you? Uh, look, we've got a website, sandhills.com, um, or our Facebook page is Sandhills. So all our information is on there. So if anyone wants to contact us, they can do it that way. No worries at all. Is that .com or .com.au? Probably .com.au, yep. yeah. Look, whatever it is, I'll make sure that it goes on the website at horsechats.com slash Craig Barrett. I'll check that out. Just make sure we've got it. And your contact right. details. Yeah. Great. Craig, thanks very much for talking to us today. been great talking to you. Pleasure. I've certainly enjoyed it. I'm sure that everyone else has as well. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. Thanks, Glenis. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.